for joining Alzheimer's Speaks Radio today. I am the host of Alzheimer's Speaks, uh, Lori LeBay, and Alzheimer's Speaks really got started because my own mother had dementia for 30 years. She started having symptoms in her mid-50s, my age, and lived till 86. And because of her, um, you know, I changed careers and have just been on this mission uh, to raise everyone's voice regarding dementia. I just think it is critically important that we, that we all work together and, um, and move move dementia forward, move our, move our care to a better, a better place. Um, you know, people always ask who we are, you know, what we do. And so I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on that. Um, again, uh, this got started kind of as a grassroots effort and it's been amazing to see the connections that have been made since I started, uh, Alzheimer's Speaks back in 2009. Um, bottom line, we're just an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we truly believe that by joining forces and having these everyday conversations with dementia, um, that that's really the only way we are going to be a force to reckon with, is to have these authentic conversations and allow everyone's voice to be heard from those living and diagnosed with the disease for those caring for them, um, as well as professionals and advocates, researchers, the, the whole nine yards there. Um, we also believe that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle, and we know that that's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, every time you like or you share one of our platforms, if it's the radio show, if it's our blog, if it's the website, um, if it's our Dementia Chats, which is a video interview on this order um, with people with dementia, um, when you push that information out to your sphere, um, you are saying, it's okay to have this conversation. You know, it's okay to learn. It's okay to ask questions. And to me, that's really, truly what is needed. And so, you know, thanks to all of your sharing, you got Alzheimer's Speaks recognized as the number one um, uh, influencer online, according to Alzheimer's, to uh, Dr. Oz and uh, ShareCare. Um, recently, we were just... Um, acknowledged by uh, Oprah just this last month as a health hero. And um, last fall, Maria Shriver uh, said we're an architect of change. And all of those acknowledgments, they're really not me. They're all of us working together to make a difference because none of this would happen without this team effort. So those are kudos to, to the impact that we're having because everything we do here on Alzheimer's Speaks is on a shoestring budget. There actually is no budget. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of this word of mouth and, and really honest, um, authentic collaborations um, that we're having with different people, you know, again, at all different 
different levels around the world, people that really, truly want to make a difference. Now, before I, I um, introduce our guest today, um, I do want to just do a little bit more housekeeping because um, it is the new year. We made it through another one. Um, I, I just want to... Um, acknowledge what a wonderful year that it's been and I hope that all of you have um, kind of a smile on your face for the passing of one more year and I hope your minds and hearts are are filled with lessons learned from 2017 um, that'll help you move forward in 2018 in the years the years to come and uh, we just all here hope that you are filled with blessings way beyond your imagination um, in the years to come here. So cheers to everybody for um, for making it through what a lot of people think was a pretty turbulent <laughs> turbulent year. Um, I also want to thank every single one of our listeners and our followers, people who have shared content, people who have been a, um, a co-host with me, a guest, um, people who have uh, sponsored me to go around speaking. Uh, I just so appreciate working with everyone. Um, again, we are thrilled to be acknowledged by Oprah for um, being one of 14 people as a health hero. I am extraordinarily um, just so honored to work with all the people living with dementia out there and seeing the number of voices that are being raised and how, how significant that circle has grown. Uh, I mean, there's just so many more people this year than there was last year than there was the year before who are speaking up and not ashamed and not afraid anymore. And I, I just honor you because I, I think without you, the movement will not be going as fast a pace as it is. Um, you guys truly are the educators and, and we need more and more voices that, that need to be heard need to be heard. Um, you know, we took our uh, dementia-friendly cruise. People that came, uh, the people that were part of our program team, you know, four people with dementia basically were our leaders, along with, you know, myself, um, Cindy Lazinski, and um, Becky Watson, who is a um, is a music therapist. But the voices that were really listened to were our panelists, Carrie Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear and Mary Reed. And the voices that came together, the families, the, the closeness um, and the, um, the community that was built during those seven days was extraordinary. And so I'm looking forward to being able to do some more dementia-friendly travel in the future, but we'll be doing it under our own name, either Alzheimer Speaks or Dementia Travel with, with Lori LeBay. Um, I also am really grateful that we were able to be part of Maria Shriver's <clears throat> Move for the Minds uh, event in Irvine, California for the um, Women's Alzheimer's Movement. That was just such an honor to be able to meet her and, and be one of her panelists there. The extraordinary team here that we have, um, not only on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, um, 
with again too many people are our guest co-hosts with me and and the number of guests that we have I, there's just too many to mention but we also do again dementia chats and the power of their voices if you haven't heard them you need to listen to them because it's it's pretty fabulous and i'm just going to name off this last year who's been on the program harry urban michael ellenbogen Lori shear mary reed brian leblanc uh Craig Hankey, Bob Savage, Truthful Loving Kindness, uh, Susan Session, Mary Ranofsky, uh, Paul Ann Gordon, who's with us today, and Scott Draves, who's with us today as well. And I also have to thank uh, Elon Caspi, who is my co-facilitator on those. Um, those uh, interviews are, are used around the world, and um, people are really, really listening, so that's very cool. Uh, I also need to thank all the contributors and writers um, for Alzheimer Speaks uh, blog. We have, um, I have to give a special shout out to Carol Larkin, who has done a lot of articles that really gets people thinking. And to all of you that have written stories and shared your poetry with us, uh, it's amazing the number of people you touch around the world. So keep that stuff coming. Um, I'm also really thankful for our grassroots dementia-friendly movement in Roseville, Minnesota, called the Alzheimer's and Dementia <clears throat> Community Action Team. And this year, you know, we have just such a great team. We work with the city, the library system, the school, uh, school district, and the senior center. And this year, we kicked out... Um, monthly educational programs which are free to the community and surrounding areas. Um, the library system put together memory minder kits which can be signed out by uh, people with dementia and their care partners. Um, we kicked off a dementia caregiver re-entry program and we also created a travel kit which covers local to international travel for people, um, some tips and, and various things. I've also been blessed to work with the uh, care to plan group which is developing a dementia friendly uh, or dementia resource directory which is in beta testing right now which you can find on the Alzheimer Speaks website if you go to um, our resource directory tab calendar cards I have to thank them because they they are a memory system program but they've devised a, a directory for memory cafes in the U.S. It's very easy to use. It's no cost to people who have a memory cafe and Dave will just input that for you free. And again that can be found at memorycafedirectory.com. The um, call alert center which can be used for um, care partners if you're worried that somebody might wander but they have systems for pets for children, for students, for travelers, and through Alzheimer Speaks, you can get a 20% discount on, on that program, and it's only, I mean, it's minor dollars a year. I want to say it's under $15 a year, plus a discount on top of that, and it really works cool. They just put together a new little video that you might want to check out. You can see that on our site. Um, and then for those of you that aren't familiar with the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, they're just doing some really great work. They take a holistic approach. So they're about meditation and exercise and diet. And they do a lot of great educational forums and um, have some wonderful products that you might want to check out. Um, we've also been very blessed to have a lot of media coverage this year from the old magazine to next avenue uh the good age magazine the la times 
the American Senior Magazine. Um, we were honored um, to be interviewed five different times by Margaret Manning from Switzerland with 60 and Me um, for a kind of a dementia series too. She's just a wonderful woman doing some cool things. Um, we were able to be part of the Media Planet Special Edition on Alzheimer's, uh, which was a, a great honor as well. We made the Healthline Best Blog um, again this year, not best blog, but one of the best blogs. I think I, the reading room, Alzheimer's reading room might have gotten number one, uh, but I'm not positive on that. And then the Alzheimer's um, and Dementia Weekly, we were in um, several radio uh, shows and podcasts also featured our work. And again, when I say our work, I mean, I, I literally mean all of our work because again, I truly believe it is it is not one of us that is doing this alone. So um, I am going to get off my soapbox now, but I just really want you to know how filled with gratitude I am to be um, working and being touched by so many people around the world. It's, it's really quite fascinating. So today I have a co-host all the way from the Netherlands. And Geert, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself to our audience. Okay, thank you, Laurie. Laurie, uh, just the names Scott and Paula? Scott and, and Paul Ann. Paul Ann? Yep. Okay, Paul Ann. Okay. Uh, hello, Scott and Paul Ann. How are you? Before I introduce myself, we are, I am great. I'm so great. I'm doing well. You're doing well. <laughs> it's still Christmas in your home, I see. Uh, yeah, yes, we didn't take the tree down quite yet. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, thank you to be uh, to be with you because my, I, I use my, my English is not so good. I'm from the Netherlands and I'm not an ex expert in, in Alzheimer. I think the only experts are you. You are the experts. And like Laurie said, she says, we need more voices. I think we need more ears. We need more ears to listen listen to you, to listen to Pauline, for example, because you are the ones who really know what is it, what it, what it means to have or to be somebody with Alzheimer's. So I want to hear, I want to listen to you a, a lot. A short introduction for myself, I'm a social worker. I was a social worker, I was a nurse, and I was a teacher. Um, I, I worked with children and I, I worked with um, with elderly people and people with dementia, and I gave lessons at the nursery school and, and the well-being school. Um, and I wrote, I, I, I wrote a book indeed. It's the title, Moving On By Standing Still. That's my passion. Mostly we are running around people and we are running around. In the nursery homes, we are running, running, running. And I think, stop running. Keep still stand still and please try to listen so i think i have to be very um, uh, how we say i'm not the leader you're the leader you have to lead me you have to guide me i think people with dementia people with psychiatric problems people everyone they can guide me and i have to listen and that's my book is written about it's, it's many stories from what i heard um, and that's one thing I also don't, don't like, 
we call people with problem behavior. And I hate the word problem behavior. For me, it's signal behavior. I think, I think when we say that, just Scott or Pauline, your problem, you don't have problem behavior. I think we have problem behavior as workers. You are clear. Of course you are clear in what you want and what you like. We have to do more effort to hear what you want, to hear what you like. So I'm, I really am I'm a small, small boy in front of you. I feel like that. Thank you. That's my introduction. Okay, great. Thank you. Paul Ann, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Paula Ann Gordon. I was diagnosed with vascular dementia five years ago. And that was, uh, I was age 57 at the time. So I was a youngster. What some people don't know, a lot of people don't know is that my father died from Alzheimer's about uh, 10 years ago. And also I've seen it from both sides. Uh, I've been very active as an advocate and an author. Uh, I've written a book called Vascular Dementia and Inside Perspective. And I have been involved with the Dementia Mentors Program as a mentor with newly di diagnosed individuals who need some additional one-on-one -on -one support. And I'm also on the advisory council and the board of directors for Dementia Action Alliance, which is also a wonderful organization. So I just try to take any opportunity that I can to first as an education and knowledge of, about people with, living with dementia and how they can best um, maneuver their way. Wonderful. Thank you. Scott, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, yes, my name is Scott Dreves. Um, I was diagnosed at 45 with uh, front temporal lobe dementia. Um, my grandfather on my father's side and my uncle um, both had dementia and they both passed fairly early in life. Um, um, that's my history. Um, I'm 52 now. Well, I'll be 52 this month. Um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you, Lori, for giving us a platform, you know, and, and a place to teach and learn. Um, if, it, um, if it wasn't for you and people like you, um, I don't know where we would be. You've inspired me, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Well, you you inspire many. Um, you've only been on a couple of our dementia chats so far, and like everyone else, you know, kudos comes out automatically. You know, from response when people watch and listen um, to the just powerful comments and insights, and and so much of it, I think, is just breaking that barrier down of a person with dementia can't have a conversation, you know, can't have input. And, and, and I think people are shocked because if, you know, they're looking at the screen right now, they would not know who has, a, who has a disease, you know, they just wouldn't know, couldn't tell. And that, that throws people for a loop because that's not what society has taught them. And so I think, like Gert is saying, that has to change. You know, people have to learn that, you know, we are all dealing with different things um, that don't always show. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're not real. 
and that we have to be respectful um, and know that everybody can still participate in life. And that is a, um, you know, when you come to realize that it's just such a huge gift once you stop judging, you know, when you stop feeling that need to, to judge. I, I, I think with, um, you know, the journey with my mom, I, I think I was probably a lot more judging before. Not that I don't do it now. I, I, you know, I'm not Little Miss Perfect all the time, but I think I'm a heck of a lot better. And I don't, um, I, I don't hold the torch to things being perfect. You know, if it's a person or if it's just situations in my life, I don't, I don't believe in perfection anymore. I, I think it's a myth and I think it's a, um, a real slippery slope that um, traps us into um, something that's not real, you know, uh, that can't be met, that makes us, you know, want to beat one another, be in competition instead of being in gratitude with one another or, you know, learning to appreciate other people's success. I, I've never understood how people can't be proud of something someone else is doing. I, I just, I've never understood that. But there's a, there's a lot of people that get angry when someone else, you know, gets a pat on the back or did something that they couldn't do when we're all different. We've all always been different. And none of us are going to have the same skill sets. None of us have the same backgrounds. And yet, we're taught we're all supposed to be the same and we're supposed to be at this level and then we're supposed to be going for this level. And um, uh, dementia just has really taught me to look at life very, very differently. I'm going to um, throw this first to Paul Ann and Scott and then I'll go back to you, Garrett. But Paul Ann, has dementia had you look at life differently in terms of, in some ways, do you have more of a peacefulness within you at times? I think I, I think I do. I think that you bring up, <clears throat> excuse me, a good point about that people, that dementia is an invisible disease, especially in the earlier stages. Uh, you can't look at somebody and tell that they have dementia, and there's no way to, um, to um, you know, people sometimes think that people with dementia are of limited intelligence, and that's so far from the truth. Um, I know so many people that are extremely intelligent that have dementia, doctors, lawyers, nurses, uh, teachers, just the whole gamut. And so I want to make sure that people understand that and, and that they will listen to the people with dementia because they have a lot to say and they um, have an insight, a, a, an insight that other people don't have. And we can work together to, um, to educate people and to make the world a better place for people living with dementia. May I ask a question, Laurie, to Pauline? Sure. Pauline, uh, I heard you wrote a book. Was it a book about dementia? It was a book about my experience with dementia. Um, it was called Vascular Dementia and Inside Perspective. And it was very much, it was not a, a technical book. It was just about some of the experiences I have had as a person living with dementia. Oh, and I have shared that with quite a few people, and they've enjoyed that. Beautiful. And, and, and how long ago you wrote that book? Uh, I don't remember now. I guess it's been about three years, about three years ago. I, I'm very, uh, suppose you, you should write the, the, a new book now. Would it be a different book from three years ago? 
it would be a different book. It would be talking more about the strategies I've taken to um, compensate for my dementia and the different, um, different ways that might be helpful to other people living with dementia. Instead oh. of just talking about my experience, I would talk about compensatory measures and strategies for living well with dementia. Okay, okay. I will try to read it. I'm very curious about that book, yes. Yeah, well, and Thank you've you. got, you, a lot of doctors are utilizing that now with their, with their patients mm -hmm. for um, vascular dementia, which is wonderful because we all know there's not enough information that's yes. given out at that time. Um, Scott, how about you? Since you've been diagnosed with dementia, do you, do you think you look at life differently? Well, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm, I feel a lot more vulnerable um, than I ever have in my life. I've always, you know, kind of been a strong personality and a strong person, and and I see my weaknesses, and I, you know, I'm aware of my limitations, and um, I struggle sometimes to deal with that and to adjust for it. Mm -hmm. um, it it can be painful at times it can be embarrassing um it, you know um uh, you know we are we are aware you know more aware than people give us credit for sometimes um even though we may not be able to verbalize it or really show it but it, it's there um being as young as i am i also you know, there's so many people that are, well, no, you can't have it, or you don't have it, you're misdiagnosed, or, you know, um, and until they see um, me in those vulnerable situations where I, I can't control my emotions, or I can't um, communicate, or really even deal uh, with the situations, you know, then that shows a little bit. But, um, and so that, that's kind of a curse and a blessing at the same time, you know, one is that I can fairly function pretty well in, in the community without any issues or anybody noticing, but then the expectations of, um, that people have on me because I am fairly, you know, I function fairly well um can be too much mm -hmm. uh you know i'm i'm not always going to be on time <clears throat> excuse me i'm not always going to be able to do what i wanted to do or said i was going to do uh, it's hard to keep up with um you know day-to-day -day life sometimes uh living in wisconsin the cold weather this winter has been terrible on me you know um i don't enjoy it like i did you know, some years ago. Scott, the, the garbage, the garbage man just came to pick up garbage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put ask, you... May I ask okay. a question to Scott? Sure. Yes. Scott, uh, you, uh, you, I heard you say, I was, I had a strong personality. You had or you had? Well, I, th I think I still kind of have a, a stronger personality. I mean, 
uh, some things don't change, but I am more, um, I, I think it's helped me to settle a little bit and not set these high expectations for other people or myself. I mean, that's just me personally. Um, I'm, I seem, I feel like I'm apologizing a lot more than I yes. ever did in my entire life. Yes, yes, I hear oh. that. I hear that. And I, I, I heard you, I heard you, t you tell me uh, your parents also had dementia, no? My, my uncle on my uh -huh. dad's side and my grandfather on my dad's side. And my dad is, I think, 81. And he's, he has dementia, though he hasn't been diagnosed with it but you can tell oh, okay. but he that he just started to show recently okay. and, and, and what can we what can what can we learn from you scott what is the most important thing oh boy that's a <laughs> that's a question that i haven't thought about um i don't i don't i don't know i i think if If I can do anything, it would be like Lori. Lori is a wonderful advocate, and she's um, her, her platform is is getting out to a lot of people and educating a lot of people. And um, I was blessed to be called to um, go to her cruise, and I learned a lot there, and that encouraged me. Um, to do more, to be involved more, and to, while I still can, um, help, educate, and um, I've got some pet pro projects that I, I'm working on to try to help um, people live with the disease a little bit easier and able to stay in their homes. So, so you, so you can, so you can help the nurses and you can help the, the care workers. You are a, a care worker plus, no? You are well, a plus. I don't know that I'm a caregiver. Um, yes, yeah. I, I'm blessed to have a, a a lovely woman that takes very well care of me and um, yes. helps me stay focused. But but you also help many people now, no? Say that. I'm trying to. Sorry. Oh, I was just, I was going to have you repeat that because I wasn't sure everyone understood you. Yeah, so, you know, I think, I think, um, like Scott and, and, and Paula, they are the best helpers we, we have. We, they help us. We don't help them. They help us. They help us to understand. They help us to how to deal not with dementia, you know, how we can. Uh, make communication with Pauline, how we can make communication with Scott. I, I don't like to have to communicate with dementia. I want to communicate with Scott. I want to communicate with Pauline. You know? Communication with dementia is nothing. Uh, but I think with Scott or with Pauline, it's, it's very nice to communicate with. Thank you. I think we're, people living with dementia are in a unique position to educate yes. others. Yes. Because There are so many misconceptions about dementia. Yes. And like Scott was saying, you know, people will look at you and say, well, you don't look like you have dementia. Well, it's, there's no way to look like you have dementia. And 
it's it's only through our voices that we can help people understand the disease. We do also the doctors listen to you. I'm sorry. Do also doctors and specialists really listen to you? They don't listen as much as they should, unfortunately. Uh, yes. Now, yes. They tend to be dictatorial, you know, yes. like and I was really frustrated. I recently moved from Ohio to uh, Arizona and I have a new neurologist. So my first meeting with him, the first thing he did was he, he said, is, is her husband with her? And the, I said, yes. And they said, bring, bring him in, bring him in. Wait. And I proceeded to ask him all the questions about my functioning. And I'm sitting there trying my best to keep my mouth shut because it was very difficult. But I was just, I was so upset with that approach. You know, why don't you ask me? Yes. Don't ask my husband. I, I think my husband was kind of flustered about it too because he knew how I felt about it. So the next time we went to the, I went to the neurologist, my husband didn't go. Huh. <laughs> you forget him? We're going to solve this problem one way or another. So how did the how did the doctor take that? <laughs> he, did, he did he did pretty well with it. You know, he did tell me to do to ch make a change in medication and he said, "Now are you going to remember that?" And I said, "Yes, I'm going to remember that." You know, but it was um, the the doctors really need a lot of education in terms of how to be empathetic with people living with dementia and how to understand them and communicate with them. Yeah. Well, and even come up with a system. Like, would you like me to also shoot uh, an, an email reminder to you and your husband? I mean, something so simple that could be right. done, you know, or printing out a form or I'm giving you prescription. I mean, just to make sure that, that it works. Did you mention to him how uncomfortable you were the first time and why your husband wasn't there the second time? I didn't. He is, um, he's like, got degrees all over the place and everything, gerontology, psychiatry, neurology, all these things. And um, he's very busy and very abrupt. So, you know, he's, he's like a very busy person and I'm too busy to spend much time with you, but here's the few minutes I will spend with you and, and we'll go on our way. So I'm, you know, I'm still working with him. I don't know, we'll have to see where it goes from here. Mm -hmm. It, it, and it's sad that um, we allow people to hide behind those titles, you know, yeah. because there's, you know, the compassion, the empathy, just the being personal. I mean, we, we all have busy lives. If we have titles or not, we all have way too much crap on our plate, um, no matter who we are, you know, there's just too, this world moves way too fast. And you know, the, to me, the critical piece is that, that piece of respect and understanding and being actually heard, you know, not just listened to in a, in a quick fashion. I mean, anybody can listen, but to be heard is, is a whole other piece, you know? You know and you wonder sometimes, what if this man develops dementia down the road? You know, what is he going to think about all of this and, and how he treated his patients and all of that? I'd be interested, Scott, in hearing what your experience has been with doctors. Do you have a good doctor that you feel comfortable with? Are you, are you asking me, Pauline? Scott? I am. Um, 
the original doctor that diagnosed me specialized with dementia. And then she moved on to another state. Um, she was, she was very thorough and very compassionate and an amazing woman. I, I don't know that I should say her name, but um, the new doctor that I have doesn't specialize in dementia. She does mostly MS. And um, so that's the problem. I live in Northeast Wisconsin and there's really nobody around within a couple, you know, 500 miles, you know, or more um, that specializes just with dementia. So I'm kind of at a standstill when it comes to that, you know, um, I've been, that's been a frustration for me for a while that, you know, I don't feel I'm really getting the care that I could have. But what you said about being disregarded, you know, and, and that happens a lot. I mean, that happens in nursing homes. That happens with the doctors. Like like the experience that you had, um, we have a voice. We can answer for ourselves. Yeah, but when you have no ears, when you have no ears around, the voice has no use. Right. Uh, um, you know, we do. We know what we're going through better than our caregivers do sometimes. Yes. Yes. And you know, so that that's a. I think that's a big issue when it comes to um, people with dementia, and Alzheimer's. Um, express especially when they get um, in the stages where they are less verbal. People aren't taking the time to really hear them or yes, or true. let them express. You know, they think, okay, now they they don't know. They don't know anything. But, agree, but they I, do. It's there. I agree. I agree, Scott. I really agree. Do you also, uh, Paula and, and Scott, you feel betrayed like a child sometimes? Do I feel betrayed by, by what? Like a child. You, you like feel betrayed. Betrayed like a ch like a child by the doctor. Oh yes, treated like a child. Yes, treated, that is the word. Yes, exactly. I I do. And, and you know, to Scott's point, I this particular doctor did special does is a memory care specialist. This is his field and his priority. So that makes it even worse. Now the doctor yeah. I had before that was not a. He was like what Scott is saying. He was a neurologist, but he's. He tended to want to focus on things that are curable, and I think they don't. They want to accomplish. They want to accomplish, and they don't want to just reach out to people as, as on a personal level. Um, that that's what's really missing is yes. that personal connection. Personal connection, yes, yes, yes. So yeah, yeah. it's horrible. It's horrible that also always the people specialists always. Try to, to, to treat you like a child. I, I hear that many times, but you are an adult. You have a full life. And I, I know you now for about 30 minutes, and, and I really admire you both. The way you tell, the way you be there. And I, I think you are strong personalities. And a doctor, he has to listen to you with his heart, not only with his brains. Mm -hmm. Art because you have so lots, so much to tell. So, yeah, 
it's horrible. And in, in the Netherlands, it's not. It's 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 quite the same. Quite the same. That's that's why I wrote this book. Please listen. Please stop running. Please stop being uh, the specialist because every one of us wants to be treated like like a human being. Well, the, the other thing that I think when we're communicating with the doctors is we have to communicate with the whole team. Because a lot of times it's easier to get to the nurse, you know, or their assistant and say, hey, I know he doesn't have time for me, but hopefully you will. <laughs> and this is what's really going on and how, and how my family is, you know, how we're working this. Mm-hmm. And, and we need you to respect that and how, how best can we work with you. But that's what we did with with my mom's doctor. Um, and he was, he was wonderful, but his nurse was, I mean, just absolutely superb because she told us how to work the system. And she's like, you get me the notes, you know, that you want covered and we'll have them addressed. And so as a family, we could ask questions sometimes that if I would bring them up in a, in a meeting with my mom, as she progressed, she'd get angry, you know, at us. And then we'd have to go home for a fight for, you know, it was amazing what she could hold on to for a while. You know, <laughs> she was mad. And, and so he would bring things up just in general terms so we could all move forward and it was better for us. Um, or it was important, you know, for us to make sure that the doctor always included mom in on the conversation, that she wasn't yeah. just sitting there in the, in the chair and never even being looked at. I mean, cause some doctors do that too. And it's just like how offensive that is and, and how uncomfortable that is for the care partner as well as the person with dementia, you know, to always be inclusive and point that question there first. And then, you know, we can go from there. Um, I wanted to, you know, cause we were talking about respect and I think how we, how, how people, sometimes professionals, and I think families can look at this disease. And uh, when I was kind of reviewing the past year, I, I pulled out a poem that was written and submitted by Elena LeClaire, and it's called A Rose in the Snow. And I think it shows the the standards and the setups of what what people tell us we're supposed to expect from this disease and how brilliant a small child is. Um, that we need to listen to them too. Um, So it's called A Rose in the Snow. His day's tired eyes were far away in the deep blue oceans um, where, where once he played. But the little girl beside him prays that one day he'll remember her name. It seemed more certain for a rose to bloom in ice cold winter snow than for her grandfather to recall the name of a little girl who waits in faith. We are all casting her hope away, trying to tell her to cope, to ease the pain of the little girl who longs for a rose in the snow. Then one night, grandfather sat next to the window that displayed a crescent moon. I'm going to get emotional. He turned away his face from it to look across the room. He smiled at her. She ran to him. He gently caressed her face. Then he leaned over, and in her ear, he slowly whispered her name. Her smile was such that its radiance could now 
outshine the moon. And somewhere on earth, a snow-filled mountain, a rose emerged in bloom. And I just think that that's so beautiful because this little girl was told to give up hope. And I think as a society, we teach that. And it's so wrong. There are, there are connections so deep and so beautiful that will never, ever go away. But we can't find them if we don't look for them. Thank you, thank you, Larry, Larry. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> Who authored that, Lori? Um, it was a gal by the name of Elena Leclerc. And it's just one of the beautiful poems that people submit. You know, um, the stories they tell of their, their love, um, their discomfort, their whatever it is they're going through. You know, dementia isn't one emotion. It's a roller coaster like the rest of life, yet everybody thinks it's, you know, everything's supposed to become stagnant and it's supposed to be controllable. Well, life wasn't controllable before dementia. So we have to stop thinking that we're going to control it now. You know, I was just going to add that I think um, we sometimes, even people who are in the more advanced stages, you know, as my father was with Alzheimer's, they 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 discard them and say they they can't understand and they can't communicate, but they may not be able to communicate as well as they should or were able to in the past. They still have a heart and they still have feelings, and they still do have understanding and can be reached at different levels. You know, I think music is a wonderful way to touch people with dementia, um, especially at the more advanced levels where. This brings back their their memories and their personhood um, back to them. And I've seen it in nursing homes when they bring in a pianist or somebody and and every all of a sudden all these people who were ranting and raving or whatever they were doing calm down. And calm they, down, just, yes. they sing. Yes, calm down. You know, and I think we give up too much. Yes. on people and we have to opportunities yes stop running stop running and then take time uh, uh, there's one one important question i want to ask you paula and, and, and scott i i heard you say people with dementia they, they cannot communicate well i think you can i think communication is for two people, the people who speaks and the people and the person who hears. So I think you communicate very well. Also, when you have dementia in a, in a very bad way, it's all is more difficult for us to understand what you mean. But you are clear. And I think we have to do all the efforts to understand you. And if that's by music or by touching or by just be sitting beside you, I think you communicate very well. That's my opinion about communication with people with dementia. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I think it's way more than words, and yet, yes, society and families, especially, try to force a person with dementia to spit it out. <laughs> you know, give me a sentence, give me the right words, give me the right dates, give me the right mm -hmm. times, and it's it's not about being right or wrong. It's about 
being fully engaged. And that means looking at all the nonverbal responses. That means appreciating, like you said, um, sometimes just sitting next to somebody in silence can bring so much joy and peace. Yes. And, and a word's not spoken, you know, you, you might not even touch, it doesn't make any difference, but there's that, there's that exchange of energy, that presence of being. That I, I think the contact without words is more deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also in a normal life, no? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, because things can, a lot of times people will say one thing, but we're reading a whole nother thing with their nonverbals and it can get confusing. Scott? Yeah, you... Lori, you just hit on something that I was I was going to bring up also, is that um, I know myself. You know, I like to I do isolate. I you know I don't I don't like to put myself out there as much as I used to. I used to be fairly outgoing. You know, I isolate a little bit more. Um, and what happens is. Because it's um, uncomfortable, you know, family members and friends. I mean, I've lost just about every friend I had um, before I was diagnosed. I rarely speak to any of them um, um, because I don't think they know how to deal, you know, communicate with me or, you know, look at me the same way. Or I don't, I don't know what it is, but... I hear that a lot, that a lot of people lose their friends. Yes. Because it's a, but they also, um, you lose family because the family gets uncomfortable. I'm lucky because I still live in a home. Um, and I, 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 we reach out, uh, Chandra and I reach out to our children and, and, and keep them involved. Um, but a lot of these people that, um, are institutionalized one way or another, they lose family. You know, people, they, it's uncomfortable to go into a hospital or go into a, a home, a nursing home or whatnot, and, and, and a, you know, so they avoid it. So then here you are, you know, you're tr- isolating anyway, and then you are being isolated yes. from the people that matter to you, yes. you know, because it's uncomfortable for them. Um, what you were saying is is absolutely right on. You know, just having that conversation, just being there, um, just sharing. Just, if you're sitting there watching television with them yes. or reading them a book or, or whatnot, I, you know, there's the options are endless, but, um, that that's my biggest fear is that when I get to that point that I'm going to be alone. That's my biggest fear is that people are going to stop coming around and stop involving me in their life because it's uncomfortable. I can understand. Yes, yes, yes. But is, is it, is it, uh, uh, you have to go to a nursery home once? Is that, is that the perspective? You think you have to go once to a nursery home? I, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Um, in, in the future, you, th- you think you can stay at home all your life, or there is a, there is a moment you have to go to a nursery home? Um, 
I I don't know. Um, my my grandfather and my uncle were both able to stay home. Okay. Um, those were different times, um, but I I don't know. I don't know if Chandra's going to be able to keep up with my needs by herself. You know, that's that's something I'm trying to do. Uh, get involved in locally to help those people, uh, the caregivers, get a break away or get some assistance yes. that is affordable, you yes. know, to be able to, to help out a little bit. Those, those are some of the things that I'm, I'm looking forward to this year trying to um, do in my community. Um, but I, I, th I think it does come to a point that most of us, I would say the majority of us with dementia or Alzheimer's end up in a home um, because uh, it is hard for our children to raise their kids, live their life, do their job, you know, and, and still be able to take care of us the right way. You know, so um, I'm not opposed to that ever happening. I, I would understand why it would happen, but when it does, it seems like then that's kind of it. You know, people stop coming around, and there you are. You just left there to kind of finish off your days. Oh. I will pray for you. You never end in a, in a nursery home. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. You're such a beautiful person. I, you know, that when you told this, there was a song in my head. It was, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Ah. You know? and, and I think the, the, the people in your neighborhood and also with Paulin, we have to think, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. So never end in a nursery home in the United States because I heard it is horrible in the United States. <laughs> in, in the Netherlands, it's much more better. So, a, lot of, a lot of times what people do is say something similar than what I've done is we, my husband and I have moved in with my daughter. We sold our house and we moved into my daughter's house and she, she um, built a casita for us, added onto her home. And I know a lot of people who have, have gone with their sisters or their um, you know, other relatives. And I think that that can be a, a good option, alternative. But I think what's really a shame is when I see people in nursing homes and they are neglected, you know, as far as their personal needs. So I think it's important that while we still can, we clarify what's important to us and what our needs are and what our expectations are when we're not able to speak for ourselves. What do we like? What do we not like? Um, you know, there are applications that do that. There are, you can, I know people who are making videos of them, of themselves saying what it is they want. And I think that that's a really important thing to be able to do however you do it, whether you write it, video it, do it in software, whatever. Yes. I was just going to throw in the comment that um, I think another important thing is to let people know what you want in terms of services. So if it's in-home services, if it's memory care, if it's a nursing home, you know, my mom was a rare one who asked to move to the nursing home, but she asked to move to the nursing home because my dad ended up being there. And the plan was for her to always stay with us. And after about two weeks, and we got along great, um, and always had, 
um, and she was very comfortable in my home, you know, she woke up one morning um, totally, totally clear and just said, I want to move to the nursing home. And I, out of my mouth came, but that's not the plan. You know, we, we had the family meeting, we talked to the attorneys, we talked to the financial people. I mean, we had, we, we thought, I thought we had done our homework and I said, mom, why would you want to move into the nursing home? Nobody wants to move into a nursing home. And, but she, but she said, I've been with him 49 and a half years and I'm not leaving him now. And so my dad only lasted a couple of months, but during that couple of months, mom got very acclimated. She ended up living there 14 years and she, you know, she loved living there. I mean, she, it was, it was actually a very great environment. You know, staff would take her for walks and she would just refer to going for a walk with a friend, you know? Um, So I think, I think in every country there's pros and cons, there's good and there's, and there's really bad, you know, out there, there's a really wide range, but we, we, I think as a society can impact that if we're involved, if we speak up, I mean, there were many times I didn't like what was going on and I spoke up and um, I'll give one little example we had raised some money we put in this big, fountain and it was this beautiful cement patio with this (laughs) this big pond and fountain and um fire pit and it it was just gorgeous and they were going to take all the people that lived in the nursing home permanently and move them to the back side because they were going to add transitional care and all the transitional care was going to get this beautiful beautiful view and i went in and i to the director and i said that is so wrong it's not even funny the people that are going to have this view get to leave in, you know, a week to three, three months. And you're, you're putting everybody looking out the back alley, which is just a fence. I said, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. And he's like, well, you know, we have social workers and family. And I'm like, you know what, you're not selling me with this pitch. They will still all see it. They still can all appreciate it. They're in transitional care. They can get out to it. But, you know, to take that away, I, I, I just said it was horrible. So the administrator ended up calling his boss and said, you know, there really isn't much we can do. This was kind of the plan. He says, but, you know, Lori's looked at the back. We have three feet by the fence. What can we do? And she suggested putting up bird feeders and planting flowers. And they did. And it looked gorgeous. And you didn't even know the road was there anymore. And then you'd go by those rooms and people were there and they were watching the birds and they were watching the squirrels or watching the flowers bloom. Just little things that can have a huge impact that don't have to take a lot of time or a lot of money to maintain, but bring back that human piece of serenity, just having something pretty to look at. Um, is is a very respectful minor change, you know, to be able to deal with. So I think some of it is how we view things and making sure that we speak up and ask for those changes, you know, to be made. Yeah, but I I I, I think I think that um, it's okay when we have nursery home, but when mm-hmm. we have nursery institute or nursery hospital, mm-hmm. please let it be a nursery home. Mm-hmm. You know, completely different from uh, institutions. 
And in the Netherlands, you see nursery homes, six to eight people in one house, they live together. And it's completely different. They cook together, they, 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 they work together. They have dementia, but there are six to eight uh, people in one house. That feels like a home. But when you have uh, 34 people in one corridor, it's, uh, it's horrible. Well, I, again, I, you know, I would, I, I, I disagree with that a little bit because we have a lot, and this brings me back to when I was in my 20s and I worked with um, the developmentally disabled. And back then, they were called mentally retarded. And I worked for a, a community um, that was, I, I want to say, three stories, and we had like 120 people in it. And at that time, our state, Minnesota, was breaking down all the, the big hospitals, moving people into the community, and this was a larger entity, and so now they wanted to break that down and get it into a small group home. And I have to tell you, I was very resentful of the state because they, you know, like we would do group showers and shaving and all this stuff, and they were like, oh, that's not personal and that's not and I said you have no idea how much fun we have back here it's like going to college and you're all in there you're singing in the bathroom you're taking turns and, and stop making it into something that it's not and observe what's actually happening you know there was a sense of community and and not that that can always happen it depends on the team you have but, you know, that can happen in a big family or a small family, you know. We have to be really careful how we judge that and, and what really is happening. I mean, the people were very happy. Nobody was neglected. It wasn't anything about that. It was about the state making judgment on what they felt was right or wrong. And yet none of them were there 24-7 and really experienced and got the feeling of the camaraderie that can happen if if it's developed and if it's allowed. And I'm not saying that happens all the time, but it sure as heck can, you know. And so I think we have to be really careful on on what works, you know, because sometimes we can break into small communities and um, maybe people won't communicate or those personalities won't get along. You know, and when you have a bigger group to pick from, you can mix it up and match and people can sit by the sidelines if they're not comfortable to be part. And some people just like to observe and not be part, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think we have to be, I think we have to be careful with some of that stuff. It's and okay. It's okay. Well, I think we have to remember that everybody is unique. People mm -hmm. with dementia are not lumped into this group. Everybody with dementia is unique in their needs and their desires. And for some people, uh, the, the home might be very comforting and, and they will feel like their family is, is not burdened. And, you know, that they're, I guess what I'm trying to say is I just think it's important that each person with dementia is treated as an individual and that their, their desires are well known. Yes. Yeah. And, and everybody's sense of family is very different, you know. And so what we think is the ideal family and that we're trying to create might be really foreign to what they're used to. And, and so that, you know, that all that stuff can come into play. And, and I mean, I like, you know, when my dad was in the nursing home, it was, um, 
it wasn't as segregated and there was a wide variety of people and my mom could not go up onto that floor they were going to have her live on his floor and i'm like there's no way she would have been terrified because people would come in and grab her purse or you know give me give me a nickel for the train or you know they were i mean it was all kinds of stuff and and she would have been she wouldn't have done well up there because there was such a diverse um uh, level of of types of disease that was was happening in degeneration of the of the brain uh, where she was better on a, on a higher functioning more social and I hate to even say higher functioning because it was really just more social and their levels of socialization were all really different um, you know again one of the stories when I was looking back kind of in trying to be um, grateful, I was looking back at stories uh, mm -hmm. on the blog, and one was mm -hmm. of a woman who had passed who had befriended my mom, and she was 104 years old. And my mom had probably been in the nursing home maybe till, oh gosh, I don't, I would say maybe 10 years. And so she was just getting into kind of her, her very final stages. And, um, and I was so sad when this that this woman had passed because she had taken such good care of my mom. You know, she just befriended her, and you know, she was she was uh, really appeared very healthy, and though she must have had some issues, um, but not to the degree my mom did at all. And she she was just like my mom's best friend, you know, and cared for her. And I just thought how how sweet. That was and um, beautiful. In, yeah, beautiful. one hundred and four years old. What was that? One hundred and four years old. She yeah, was. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she just this short, little, cute, little spunky thing, and then she took a fall, and then it was kind of downhill from there. But she was, she was just brilliant. She was just oh. one of those people that you would love to just take home, you know. Right and never let yeah. 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 Well, I well, know. I mm -hmm. Go ahead, Scott. I was just going to add, you know, I think you kind of hit it there earlier. Um, these are conversations that we should be having early on. You know, like, I think you made a good point there that that's a conversation that needs to happen. What, what type of place you know what what are you comfortable with you yes. know in aftercare or, you know that you know you know what i'm trying to say yeah yes of course. of course of course it's a conversation that needs to be said yes and i and i think a lot of it has to be even when we go around and tour to get ideas we really have to get to what makes you feel comfortable you know not not the setting not the structure but I think it's really that sense of inner peace that we have to talk about in, in what, what is making that come out? You know, is it the smaller environment or was it the interactions that you saw between people? And if so, what types of interactions, you know, That's was it? most important, the, the, the type of interaction. Yeah. It's, it's personalized also. So I think it's the most important, mm -hmm. contact. What is the contact, the, the value of the contact? Yep. Yeah. And, yes. and, and and knowing that that can change too with staff turnover yes. you know that can have you know or a sale of a company and philosophy changes i mean nothing is stagnant 
And so, you know, what happens in those cases too? I know with my mom, um, for her last three years in the home, they had a significant staff change and they never really recaptured what they had. They lost three significant staff and so much history was lost. And, and yet, as a daughter, you know, I kind of analyzed things and um, I didn't feel like mom would do well if we just pulled her up in her end stages and put her in a whole different environment with a whole different routine. So we stayed. And I, to this day, I don't know if that was the right decision. You know, and, and was it more my discomfort? Or was yes. she really feeling it? I mean, those are things we have to sort out and talk about too, because um, one of the things somebody just asked me to talk about when it comes to this movie, His Neighbor Phil, and I, I changed uh, I changed the verbiage a little bit in it, but it was about protection and perceptions. Because a lot of times the care partner thinks that they're protecting you and the perceptions from others is very different. Does it also has to has to to do with with feeling guilty? I, I think it can be feeling guilty. I think it can be sometimes embarrassment. Oh, we don't want the person to feel embarrassed, but maybe it's them. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. maybe nobody should feel embarrassed, and maybe that's what we have to teach people. Yes. You know, instead of hiding or you know, like Scott had mentioned about being isolated. You know, and I mm -hmm. get all that because sometimes it's just too much work. You know? maybe, I can, maybe I can ask Paul and, 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 and Scott, is there, is there a, a kind of guilt uh, in, in you because people are helping you? you what do you think, Paul Um, I, I think, again, it really needs to be a, a lot of two-way conversations while you're able to have those conversations about what, you're, what you want. And a nursing home can be a wonderful place uh, for people. Maybe they, you know, it, it's, it's just so individual. And I think it's important to have those conversations early. Mm -hmm. Yes. But with your, with, with your family, with your children, with your husband, or you, you, you feel, you, feel uh, you are, how I say that, yeah, guilt. I don't think guilt is the right English word, but I don't know the, the right word. I, um, you you feel you are too too heavy for other people. What do you think, Scott? Um, I think there's I don't know about guilt. I I I think there's some. It's it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. Sometimes you do feel like a little bit of a um, burden. What? Um. I know I've had a few episodes at some events uh, like my son's graduation where uh, the emotion of the whole thing and seeing some pe um, people that I, um, I used to help coach wrestling, for example. So all these kids are coming up to me, these other coaches, in uh, um, the whole emotion, the whole thing, I kind of had a hard time keeping it together. Um, I did um, until I got outside, uh, and then I just bawled like a baby. I'll, I'll be honest about it. Um, it was extremely emotional and hard for me to keep everything together, and I don't know that there's anything 
I could have or anybody else could have done. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I I don't know that I've I've felt guilty, but I have definitely felt uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yes, yes, yes. I can understand. Uncomfortable, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, and do you, do you ever feel? I don't I don't know if denied's probably not the right word either, but where someone's doing too much for you. Yes. Yes, like that. And you you'd rather be more independent. Do you ever feel kind of squashed? Uh, I, I, ask me. No, I'm sorry. I'm throwing this back to Paul Ann and, and Scott. Mm -hmm. Go well, ahead. I don't Paul. feel. I don't feel guilty. I mean, I don't feel. I don't feel that way. I um, don't think I my demand. I'm that demanding of what I need. And I think that um, I know that I'm loved and that this person who is doing these things for me is doing it out of love. And and so I, I don't feel bad about that. Okay, Good. beautiful. beautiful. Good. Scott, how about you? Do you ever feel squashed sometimes in terms of someone doing too much for you? Um, no, I've been blessed that way. Chandra's very patient with me and she promotes uh she'll even speak up if somebody's trying to do too much for me mm -hmm. she she uh she promotes me being selfish efficient as much as i can i mean cool. she'll guide me but um i'm lucky that way okay. Okay. good well i think we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, um pauline any last words from you no i think i've said my piece Okay, how about you, Scott? Um, no, I, I don't have, this was a wonderful discussion, thank you, but I would like to ask Pauline and, um, Kate. What, how do you pronounce your name? Kate. Yes. <laughs> could, you guys, could you guys send me a link of, of where I can purchase your books or, or find out more about the books that you wrote? Uh, I I really appreciate that. I when, when, I don't know, uh, Lori, how we do that. How we can how I can get the, the address from, uh, from Scott. Okay, if you if you put it in the chat box, both of you, um, we can get that to Scott. Well, otherwise, you can email me too. And and okay. Pauline, yours is on Amazon, isn't it? It is on Amazon, and it's under my name, Pauline Gordon. Uh, it's spelled P-A-U-L-A-N-G-O-R-D-O-N. And if you just do a search under my name, you will find it. Okay. Okay, okay. it's beautiful, beautiful. Uh, maybe, Laurie, you can help me uh, when you give me a mail from, uh, the, from the address, from uh, the name from Paula and uh, Scott. Sure, I can do that. And then is yours on Amazon too? Yes. Okay, wonderful. Okay, I will I will get that to to everybody on that. So, good. Um, Geert, anything else that you want to want to say? You know, I feel so honored and happy. Uh, I, I met I met uh, Pauline and Scott. I met you, of course, also. But really, uh, I, I appreciate that. I will I will tell all my friends how beautiful this uh, this conversation was. Uh, I hope we can stay in contact a bit, Scott and Pauline, if possible. I would like to correspond that with you, to write with you, if you, if you like also. 
I like that. I want to listen to you more. Okay. Well, you have a lot to offer. I would say the same about you. Okay, thank you, Scott. Thank you. And thank you, Lori, as always, for putting these things together. I think it helps everybody. Yep, I do too. I'll try to get this edited tonight and then uploaded onto the radio show so people can see it and then onto YouTube as well. Um, so we'll go from there. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, bye, for listening. Yep. Bye bye, friends. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.